Victor's betrayal have to do with caregiving? You might be surprised. And there's a lot more healing than you might think. Stay tuned. This is part one of a two-part episode. I think you're going to like this. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your M.O. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight. There is a better road ahead. Hello, everybody. This is Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. And this is going to be a really interesting show because Honestly, I was telling my husband earlier today, he said, what are you recording on? And I said, ooh, betrayal. And he says, I want to listen to that one. (laughs) So I kind of thought, maybe I don't even give him the link. But (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's a betrayal we don't want to talk about. So my guest today is Holly Kenley. And Holly is an author, a therapist, and she is just an expert on this whole subject But you might be surprised that it's not the kind of betrayal that you might think about, like, I don't know, like bad people doing bad things to you, but maybe we're doing things a little differently when it comes to caregiving. So, Holly, why don't we just jump into the show, because I'll put all your information and details in the episode notes, but I really want to just dive into the subject because it's so meaty here that we're dealing with. And I want to know, what is betrayal to begin with? First of all, Nancy, thank you so much for having me. And yes, betrayal is a a passion of mine. And that might sound kind of strange, but I'm both fascinated by it and frustrated with it. And so that's why I have such an, an interest and a passion about it. So in my early research, and this goes back to about 2008, I was, like I said, fascinated and frustrated because I am a therapist and strategies that we were using were addressing it effectively. So I just wanted to put that out there because uh, we were mainly using grief strategies because we view betrayal as a loss of trust. And it is that, but it is so much more. And so when I began my exploration, my research, I asked myself that question, what is betrayal. And I wanted to remain really open to what I was discovering and finding. So in about in a period of about three years, as I was working with clients, studying past client cases, present ones, tapping into my own betrayal experiences, I came up with three definitions. Before I start that, I want to just back up for a minute and say that I define betrayal as not a loss of someone or something else. That's what grief is. Betrayal is a loss of self. Ooh, ooh, that's a big one because you just kind of stabbed me right in the heart there. And what caught my attention early on as you were talking is you said that we, and I'm going to use quote unquote, we sort of in the professional field, your profession, psychology and as a therapist, were using the seven stages of grief as the way to deal with betrayal. 
Yes, there. Some theorists say there are five, seven, eight. There over the years that these stages have. Oh, add a hundred on there. Yeah. (laughs) There is no one number, right? Yeah. If you know the original Elizabeth Kubler Ross sort of framed that those five stages: anger, denial, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. And that was the thinking back then that because it's a loss of trust issue that we would be moving through these stages of grief and that would help heal the betrayal or address the betrayal. And as I said... Yeah, but I'm going to stop you there. So acceptance and betrayal to me just don't go along. But that's, I guess that's kind of a normal human reaction. Yes, that was the problem, Nancy, because we were looking at as a loss of trust issue. So that's the loss of something Okay, so that was that was why it was, in my opinion, addressed that way. Versus a personal attack. Versus the loss of self. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting because, like I said, it's just like, you know, like mind blowing right now. So dive into that a little bit more because you said there were there are three aspects of this. Right. Well, and let me first preface, kind of got ahead of myself just a little bit, which I usually do. There's okay, so much, I'm going to help you on that so one. much to share, but <laughs> let, let me speak to the loss of self for a minute. Is mm-hmm. that the reason why we don't really see it, or the reason why I believe that back then we weren't really paying attention to it, is because it's buried beneath layers of shame, hmm. and so it shows up in things like this. One of the predominant ones is the loss of identity. It's the loss of innocence. It's the loss of role. Big for caregivers. I mean, all huge, like tremendous. Exactly. The loss of your reputation. Right. The loss of being seen, of being heard. Or who am I? I mean, I'm known as a professional, an executive, an entrepreneur, a leader, and now I'm... I don't want to say reduced to, but I'm going to use those terms right now. I'm reduced to helping mom feed herself. Yes. Right? Yes. And it's not that we don't want to do that to help, but there's that solid ground of confidence that seems to go. Absolutely. This loss of self goes to the core of who we are Mm. and how we show up in the world in whatever other roles that we have. And so in my research, when, and maybe we'll get to this in a little later on, we don't navigate through the stages of grief. We navigate through what I call three states of being. And we'll touch upon that later if you want to, but I just want to go to the second state is called the state of worthlessness. And that's what we're talking about right here is that when we're betrayed by whomever or whatever, and we have this loss of self, the loss of identity that goes to our worth, to our value, to our sense of how we're showing up in the world, to our sense of belonging, not only to others, but to ourselves. It's, it's just huge. I know so many people who've gone through this and all I can think of is the deep, dark, holes that have 
I don't say enter their life because they're doing what they want to do for the people that they love. But the host, it's just, it's all I can say is the deepness that happens. And you want to be there for somebody. And sometimes they've just dug such like this dark black hole for themselves. And there's, I don't say there's no personal self-respect. That's probably the wrong way to say it. But it, it seems like it's just a loss. It's like they're lonely. They're wandering. And there's there's nothing else, which is so incredibly sad when somebody gets to that point as a caregiver. And it could be the first time, the second time, or the third time around that, that just gets darker and darker and darker. And you just want to say, come out and play, you know, kind of things. It's okay. And you can't help, except somebody like you could help it even still. I'm just going to leave it there and let you continue because I could, I'm like digging I'm making myself feel bad, and I don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> yes, I I refer to that second state of being as the well of worthlessness. Oh, yeah. Ooh. And as you were describing what you were just sharing, that describes, you know, it just I just picture in my mind this well. And I often say we've been robbed from what we had, redefined from who we were, and relinquished to a lesser place than what we knew before. Oh, my goodness. It just, when you say it that way, it makes so much sense when you hear about people who leave their job to care for a loved one and then can't get back into the workforce, Mm -hmm. no matter how short it's been. Mm -hmm. And then reclaiming that ability to do what you do so well is just out of grasp. It's out of reach. Not that it can't be reclaimed, but it, it's really hard, and that's, that's going to be a big one going forward for so many people. So those are the first two. And the third? Okay, well, I, I just want to say one thing to that last. I want to make sure we give people, a, you know, know that there's hope, or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So jumping around just a little bit, and we'll get back to okay, the three please. states. But okay. in in this whole process, the whole idea in healing is about writing yourself. And in that writing of yourself, there the hope lies in redefining yourself. So I, I just want to sprinkle that out there because, yes, all of this has been taken from us and we have this loss of self. But there's so much that's been gained if we look at it the right way, right? Yeah. I mean, I kind of did that. I said, you know, geez, it was hard, but Wait a second, you know, there's so much that I've learned that I can compl- I can apply easily to the business that I was and am in and, and the one that I'm building. Absolutely, Nancy. <laughs> Absolutely. And and when folks are in that well of worthlessness, that that's not something that just happens overnight. That that is actually yeah, you know, that takes a lot of time, a lot of work and so I don't want to confuse people because I've kind of jumped from the, the three definitions that I we were started to talk about, and now we're talking about the three states of being. So um, I think what I'm going to do is just go back for a minute to the okay. three definitions of betrayal that are under the umbrella of the loss of self. So 
for example, when I'm working with clients, this is what I'm listening for. And this is what I learned way back in 2008. So I'd like listeners to be thinking about when I go over these three definitions, if you know one or more of them resonates and, and there is overlap. Mm-hmm. So the first one was an investment into someone or something met with rejection or abandonment. And the important thing about that definition, and I know one thing I was not paying attention to as a therapist, we tend to think that it's someone, it's a partner, it's a parent, it's a child, it's an employer, it's an employee, it's a coach, it's a whomever, that it's a person, but it certainly can be something, can be your career, your job. It can be an interest that you have, a passion, a hobby. So anytime we invest into someone or something, and for whatever circumstances that unfold, that that is met with rejection or abandonment, we feel betrayed. The second definition is the one that I alluded to earlier that we are most comfortable with and what we hear most about, and that's trust. But I tweak that just a little bit, and I say it's a profound trust that is profoundly violated. And the reason I do that is because I believe we can have a lower level of trust, and return to trust, we're going to have a, a meaningful conversation today, and we don't feel violated by that. But the interesting thing about trust is I discovered that there are two kinds of trust, and both are extremely painful. And again, I wanted to remain open and aware as I was listening to clients and learning from them. So the first kind of trust is the one we're more familiar with, and I call that an innate trust. It's something that just kind of automatically there. For example, perhaps with our parents, with our children, with our siblings. And it comes with the title given, if you will, to the trustee and the trustor. There's usually or almost always a power differential. For example, mother, son, grandfather, granddaughter, teacher, student, doctor, patient, therapist, client, employer, employee. It's automatic, even though it may not always be deserved. Exactly. Because of that title, that title that is just there, it's usually, we, we just kind of automatically trust. That kind of trust absolutely extremely painful when that is violated. But Mm -hmm. the other kind of trust is one that we don't often think about. And again, I always want to remain open, make sure I'm hearing my clients. And that is a trust that I say is an extension of us. And that is, we know about, we know a little bit about someone or something. We know a little bit about the justice system. We know a little bit about elder care and how it works. We know a little bit about hospice. And by the way, I learned some things from your recording that I listened to. So, we, oh, so I mean, we just automatically have a level of trust in it. But it isn't until we get involved in it, or we have, we're forced to, or we choose to, that that trust builds up, or it's built up, and then it's violated. 
And the reason why this one is so painful, Nancy, is I will hear clients say, I should have known. I wish I would have known. If only I would have known. And there's just a lot of shame that they take on because they chose to invest into it, even though they were basing it on what they knew at the time. So this is almost beyond a loss of trust in something or someone or a group, a societal type of thing, which, you know, I'm getting a little bit bigger here. But it's also a loss of trust in our own judgment. So it's a loss in trust of self at the same time, which is rather interesting because it's now we're not putting that blame on somebody else, but now we're putting that blame on ourselves, which makes it even deep. Yes. At, at least that's my assessment in the discussion. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. The self-shaming messages, you know, I've not only betrayed, I've been betrayed by them, I've betrayed myself. How could I do that to myself, yes. right? Yes. How could I allow that to happen? Absolutely. Ooh, okay. So just, you know, really hearing that and being aware of that, then of course that informs me again as a therapist, how to help, how to help the individual. Mm -hmm. So many different examples of that, but I'll go on to this third definition that came up in the original research. And again, there's overlap. This one also goes to just deeply interpersonal loss and loss of self. And that is a truth that becomes a lie or a belief that is shattered. Now, mm. these kind of... Tell me more. Yeah. yeah, tell me more on that because, you know, we look at the media and, and this is sort of the our home chatters. You know, a, a lie told a thousand times becomes okay. becomes a truth, right, in the media. But we're not talking media here, although sometimes that can happen in the same thing because we become so absorbed in what's going on that we believe it. And now, yes, it's wrong. Although, absolutely, this can be attached to a thing, a person, place, thing. Or, yeah, what? Yeah, but caregiver, or age yes, or else, right. but okay. so. There's usually, we have a belief, we hold a belief or a truth around this person or this thing. Mm -hmm. Evidence surfaces. It could be through secrets. It could be through that are, you know, found out. It could be through DNA evidence. I see that a lot in my practice, that uh, a parent is not the biological parent, mm -hmm. that a person, in the, a father or mother has a secret life, another whole family, whatever. So secrets surface information comes out that how how we have looked at this person or thing, how we have the regard, the respect, the revere that we have assigned to this person or this thing no longer is true. And many of these beliefs and truth are what tether us to our interpersonal sense of self, again, of belonging, of worth, of value, and it also is very interconnected with spiritual, I'll just use the umbrella of spiritual tethering. And So how does that happen? Because you lost me on that one. Okay. Let's say that someone has a strong belief in a certain faith, okay, mm -hmm. and something is found out about, you know, it could be a person, it could be a pastor, it could be a priest, it could be... A rabbi. It doesn't matter. But this—they're not the good person that I thought they yes. were. Yes. Okay. 
And again, because so much reverence has been placed into this person that when that comes to light, that's, that is just, it feels like such a betrayal. Also, and I, I rarely go in, into any political things or, and such, it is so that a person's faith might take a stance on something that they've had to deal with or work through. Mm-hmm. And depending on what that stance is, it might be very injurious to that person. Becomes a violation, yes, in some way, shape, or form. Okay, so it gets it gets very complicated, and but again, it's all about why is this person so feeling so betrayed in this realm, and helping again informing me so that I can help them. Yeah, what? Why is this happening to me? Yes. Anyway, yeah. Okay. So those are the first three definitions or explanations that guided my research from 2008, excuse me, 2005 to 2008. And then that research was later published. But I want to add in one other definition that sort of found me. And that was when I was doing some new research in 2015. And this is going to be a little hard to hear. So I just want to put that out there for some listeners. My research is that I was I was interviewing daughters who were betrayed by their mothers. And this was a two-year qualitative study, a formal study, an independent study. It took me a long time to set it up, long time to find the participants, but I started on this. We're even going to talk about it, right? It's like, (laughs) yeah. And yeah, a lot of. My mom's a witch. (laughs) We've all had those stories, right? And vice versa. There's shame right there. You know, women who expressed inter- or daughters who expressed interest and then started the process and then pulled out. So it took me quite a while to find the daughters and they found me. And I knew that the ones that were there, let me also preface this, Nancy, by saying is that to even begin to qualify for the study, the title of the study was Daughters Betrayed by Their Mothers, but the subtitle was Moving from Brokenness to Wholeness. Because That's important. this was not, I did not want a book about just dumping on your mother. I, the book is about their journey. How did they heal? So that we can offer that to other daughters and sons, by the way. Is it much difference between mothers and sons and mothers and daughters or fathers and sons and fathers and daughters? I've had, I specifically asked three men, three males to read that, mm-hmm. read the manuscript and see if they would endorse it or could endorse it. And they said, absolutely, yes. Since that book came out in 2018, I've heard from many males. And they've said a couple of things. One, I, they could connect. Two, right. when are you going to do a book on sons? <laughs> um, so, because it wasn't dissimilar. Right. Exactly. Right? They could, That's interesting. Yeah, they could take the healing concepts and principles and apply them to their lives. From that research... This definition kind of found me from the daughters. So I interviewed myself and, and six other daughters. And I really, I like, I love this definition because it just, it's again, kind of an umbrella. It's really broad. And again, it can re- maybe reach people that the other three, maybe it didn't resonate with individuals. So that's the betrayal is when someone that is important to you 
that is given or is in an assigned role and they are unwilling, unable, or incapable of showing up in that role in the ways that are important to you and they are unwilling, unable, and incapable of carrying out the responsibilities within that role. Now, can that also include just outright rejection? Yes. So it it can include that. The key words in this one, and they are, I want to make this clearer, Nancy. What I'm about to say does not excuse the betrayals or the betrayer. Okay. It helps to explain. And this is what emerged from the research around these mothers. Mothers who were incapable, unable, or unwilling, showing up for their daughters in the way that their daughters deserved and carrying out the roles and responsibilities of a mother. Many of them suffered from clinical disorders. Okay. The moms did yes. themselves. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Bipolar, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. I mean, what? A whole host of clinical. It could even be early dementia that we don't know about. You know, I saw that with my own mom, and we always had a great relationship. I mean, literally, growing up, we had a pretty strong relationship. And then all of a sudden, there were these early signs that I didn't know, notice, and she just she yes. called me every name in the book. I didn't want to talk to her ever again. She just like, where did this come from? Mm. And it wasn't until, I would say, a couple of months later that I realized everything sort of fell into place forgiving her for that was really hard (laughs) just because it was so biting at the time. And I thought, it's not her. It's the illness that we just didn't know about. But it took some time to just sort of like, yeah, take take a step back and say, okay, I love you, mom. It's not your fault. It's okay. And, and, but it was not till she was really even further blown into that, but where did where the heck did this come from, and why did it lash out? Ah, oh, Nancy, that yeah, I get it. is a perfect example. And I'll just also go into in general physiological disorders when mm-hmm. parents just the process of getting older, you know, right. dementia or they're not as mo- whatever the issues are. And I I hear this so much from from clients and they're. You know, this might go over more into the grief issue, but it mm-hmm. sometimes there's crossover. We can have both. There's the grief about right. the losing the parent. There's also the betrayal that she can't or he, mom or dad, can't do this anymore. They're not. Yeah. They they're not. They're not showing up for me this way. But that was a perfect example. So, I'll just include also other physiological illnesses, diseases, mm-hmm. or disorders. Another reason they're unwilling, unable, or incapable is that we also have what we call personality disorders that's different from clinical or physiological disorders. And those are things like we hear a lot about narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic, dependent, antisocial. There's a whole host of personality disorders that many times accompany clinical disorders Many times they don't, but they're typically rooted in deep trauma from that individual's childhood 
or past. But they don't just pop up. These are things that they've been there for a while and you may not necessarily notice them as the adult child now stepping into slowly either be a caregiver or abruptly having to be a caregiver. And then all of a sudden these things, these these relationships exploded in a different way. Yes. The in personality disorders tend to manifest in like our early twenties and beyond we try we usually don't diagnose them much before then they might kind of show up before in the daughter's research because i had them tell their entire life narratives that of course as children in adolescents and teens they didn't have that knowledge or that vocabulary it's just when they looked back as they were you know grown females grown grown women they and you know had their own careers and such and and did their own work healing work they then could recognize that back in their childhoods that they were dealing with a, a borderline mother not bipolar I, that's different that's a clinical disorder mm-hmm. borderline mother and many of the daughters had narcissistic mothers and that kind of presentation is very very difficult the betrayals are very deep and very painful well, and if you grew up with that, you don't necessarily know it until it becomes evident from some other angle, I guess. Is that correct? Correct. Usually the predominant thoughts are in, in those states of confusion, worthlessness, mainly worthlessness and powerlessness. You know, what what's wrong with me? It's my fault. Yeah, because you've been told or the situation has become so dire that all of a sudden now what happens? And yeah. When you're also then thrown into the role to take care of somebody like that, yeah, that hole's got to forget six feet under. It's like 30 stories down. Yes. You know, I don't know if this is uh, switching our, our, our line of thinking too much right now, Nancy, but just kind of because we're here, when I was listening to your interview with Linda and the, one of the things that really resonated with me is this wondering about, like, perhaps why siblings are not showing up to help take mm-hmm. care of the, you know, the infirmed mom or dad, or why they're not visiting, or why they're they're not kind of doing what one of the other siblings is Maybe doing. They healed and ran away from that. And <laughs> I, don't know. I just see this so much. I'm, I'm working with a couple of of clients right now where the they're 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 wounding. Their betrayals are so deep, and they're, that's why they're in therapy. That's why they're working on it. But to go and by their mom or by their dad, I mean, just the horrific, horrific right. trauma. And so to show up right now where they are in their recovering and working on themselves, they will be re-injured. They will be re-betrayed if they go there. And show up. Oh, if they go back to help the parent yes. at this point in time. Yeah. So staying away and avoiding the one who's the caregiver now and stepped into that role is a way of keeping themselves safe, the other so Yes. Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, I want to continue on with this discussion, but this show is going to be so important for so many people. I'm going to actually break it up into two shows, if that's all right with you. Of course. Because we're diving into the, the issues and the symptoms. And then part two, what I'd like to do is like, what are some of the things we can do to 
to come out of this hole, if if that's all right with you. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So let's continue on this path where we're identifying where things are mm. now, and then we'll move on. But it's it, to me, that whole sibling relationship, if, if you're the sibling that is the one that stepped into the care role and your other siblings are like, are run for the hills and just politely giving you the finger, <laughs> saying it's your job, not mine. I'm out of here. I don't want anything. I'm, do- I'm done. Listen, because this is really important. You may not even understand what's happened in your own life at this point now. And I think that's huge. Yes. And Nancy, what you just said is super important too, because just talking about this right now might be triggering individuals who are listening because they might not even understand why they're staying away, why they're being Mm -hmm. activated. So I just really want to put that out there. Um, That's just self-preservation. If it was that bad and you, and now you've discovered this is an issue. It was like, I had a conversation, this has had to be sometime last year with a gentleman who was caring for his, I want to say he wasn't physically caring for his mom, but he and his sister were in a really, they'd had a bad relationship with the mother. I mean, this guy actually said, I hate my mother Mm -hmm. deeply. Mm-hmm. And my sister does the same. There was, is there any money that you want to hang on to? Nope. If she's got, I'm giving her money to keep her afloat. She's just an awful, mm-hmm. awful person. She attacks, and I'll use the word betrayal, betrays everybody that's around her, including my dad, who's left and stays away. Mm-hmm. She's becoming a toxic part of my life. How do I get rid of her so I can get on with my life? And mm-hmm. We had a discussion and we came up with some solution, but it was so, it hurt me to hear this. Yes. It was just a dagger in my heart to hear this. So, ooh. but if this is you, listen up and have a discussion with your siblings so that you, you both or you all understand what ground you're standing on and why. Yes. Yes, if even that is safe to do so, because as in the example you were giving, and I've seen many times that during these end of life period seasons, there's just so much that comes up and not, not only the trauma and the betrayals, but then the sibling relationships and if there's trusts or wills and money involved and all kinds of things can be so, so triggered and activated. So, and at the same time, I do agree, it doesn't have to be a lengthy conversation, but it can be it, just a brief sharing of if it's safe to do so, is hey, look, you know, this is where I, here is where I am. And I, for this period in time, I need to take care of myself. And if and when I'm ready, if I can, I will go visit mom or dad, whoever it is. But for me right now, it would be a rebetrayal. It would be. And just do the conversation in small bites. Yes. It, does, it doesn't need to be a dissertation. Exactly. Just small little bits that that just and check in every now and then, right? Just I'm just checking and everything okay. Yes, I had been working with a client a while back, and she has two siblings. None of their childhoods were great at all, but she, being the youngest and quite a bit younger than the older two, it was not as bad. And she was having such a rough time understanding why her older siblings could not help out, would not help out, wouldn't even go see her, the mom, when they were closer, much closer. And so we were having this conversation. We were processing it. 
What was your childhood like? How was it different from your siblings? And as we did that and unpack that and process that, she then just developed such compassion for her mm. older siblings. And yeah, no, that's interesting having those conversations. My sister and I had these conversations over the years, like later on as adults. So what was it like for you? And it was just it just came up in the course of conversation. I went off to college and there's there's four years difference between us. So that's a lot in the scope of a young adult when you think one's off to school and the other one's left behind kind of thing. But I want to continue on with this discussion. But so everybody that who's listening, we are going to stop this here. There's a little bit of a hanging cliff, like what happens next. <laughs> and actually, there's a lot that happens next. So stay tuned. Don't leave us. Come back and you'll hear episode two shortly. Now, before we go, as I've always said on some of the other shows, there are a couple of things that we can do here to help not just ourselves, but many others that we love and care for. And that's sometimes just giving somebody a gift of love. And this gift of love is a link to the show. It's really easy and it doesn't cost you a dime. And that's even better in this economy. So give a free gift to somebody that you love and give them a link to the show. So that's it. We'll see you soon or we'll hear you soon. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright Caremanity LLC. 